Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are so tender in your love and care for us and that you care about the smallest details of our lives and you care about anxious people. You know how frail and small we are. You know how scary and big the world can be. And we thank you that Jesus is the good shepherd who walks through us, through it all, and that you care for us with such tenderness and compassion and love and concern. I pray, Father, as we look at this passage of Scripture today, that you would open our eyes to see how amazingly good and beautiful you are, that we would be in awe of how wonderful you are, God, and what profound care you take of your people. Give us ears to hear and a heart to respond, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. It's a, it's a history. Let's we'll start over. My son and I like playing uh, strategy games together, particularly military strategy games. And one of the games we like to play is Memoir 44. And it's based on, it's a series of battles that are actual uh, recreations of actual battles that happened in World War II. And uh, so it's a great way to get a history lesson as long as well as play a strategy game at the same time. Every lesson, every battle comes with a little description of the, the backstory, the history of that battle. And right now we're working our way through the Pacific Expansion of Pact. So it's, it's the U.S. Marines versus the Imperial Japanese uh, troops in various battles. And one of the ones we did recently was one of the battles at uh, Iwo Jima. Is that, I think, you don't know. Okay, well anyway, in this particular battle scenario... Uh, it introduced a new weapon. Uh, he always likes to be the Marines because he thinks he's going to win, which he usually does, just for the record. Uh, he's really good at strategy. And so it, this, this scenario, this battle, introduced a new weapon, the flame-throwing tank. And I asked him, like, hey, do you know what a flame-throwing tank? And he's like, no, I don't know what that is. And so pulled up a video, showed him, talked about it. And the, uh, the flamethrowing tank was such an important weapon in the Pacific War on these islands that the Japanese, uh, the Imperial Japanese had entrenched themselves upon. Because the, so the Japanese and many of these islands had these extensive fortifications, these caves, these networks of tunnels, these fortresses, and they were really well entrenched and they were really well defended. And the fact the fortifications were so good that a traditional tank, I mean, you think a tank can just destroy anything, well, they actually weren't very effective against the, uh, the Japanese bunkers. And so it was really just very um, deadly for the U.S. Marines to assault these uh, fortified positions, bunkers, and caves. And the weapon that was the decisive breakthrough weapon was the flamethrower. But uh, because the flamethrower could root out the enemy, uh, just inspired sheer terror among them. Often they would flee their embankments, their encampments, uh, the bunkers just at the, the site of flamethrowers because... I mean, who wants to be burned to death, right? Like, that's a horrible way to die. Uh, but the problem was, uh, a U.S. Marine infantryman with a flamethrower uh, to root out the, the bunkers, you know how long he lasted in battle? Four minutes was the average lifespan of a U.S. Marine flamethrower because he's got to get so close, and of course, he's a high target for snipers. So introduce the flamethrowing tank. The flamethrowing tank was a 
a, a deliverance for the U.S. Marines because it had a range of over 100 meters, even up to 150 meters. So it could attack fortifications from, a, from relative safety and flush out the enemy. It was a game changer in the Pacific battles. Well, I bring all of that up because I like talking about World War II history. But, I, but even more, I bring that up because it, it, it highlights the point that in battle, you need different weapons for different battle scenarios. Uh, the, the tank is not a one-size-fits-all weapon. Uh, the, the, the fighter jet is not a one-size-fits-all weapon. You need different weapons for different battle scenarios. Uh, and as the flamethrower was incredibly effective uh, against these fortifications, it was relatively useless in an open battlefield because of its limited range. So you need different, battles, different weapons for different battles. As I was preparing to preach this week, it looked like the government was going to shut down. Uh, knowing that many of you are employed by the government, I imagined that that could potentially be a source of worry and concern for many of you. Um, but not knowing if the government was going to shut down or not, I brought this question up in staff meetings. Should I, should I preach on this, take a break from the Psalms that we're going through and, and preach on this passage in Matthew about worry? And it was brought up that lots of people struggle with anxiety, regardless of whether the government shuts down or not. Uh, so I think that most of us battle with anxiety... And I think this is relevant to us today, even though the government, thankfully, praise the Lord, is still open. And as we battle with anxiety, we have to ask, what weapons has God given us to fight anxiety? God graciously cares for anxious people. And I know this because in his word, he has given us not just one, but multiple weapons to use in our daily battles against anxiety. These battles, these wars that take place in our hearts. Today we're going to look at one of those passages. And we've looked at this issue before. You might remember that Psalm 46 was the antidote to anxiety. We looked at Psalm 56, also directly addressing anxiety. Uh, and those are on uh, the, the podcast if you want to go back and listen to them if you missed them. But well, today we're in Matthew chapter 6. And, and all three of these lessons on anxiety, Psalm 46... Psalm 56, Matthew 6, I guess scriptures that have six in them have something to do with anxiety. I'm just kidding. Um, don't write that down. Uh, all three of these messages, in a sense, in a very real sense, have been one big group counseling session uh, to give practical help to deal with anxiety. Remember that anxiety is future-oriented. It asks that terrible, unsettling question, what if? And the big idea I want you to see today is to trust God in order to fight anxiety. Trust God to fight anxiety. Trust God to fight anxiety. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about the body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, notice here that Jesus starts off his teaching on anxiety with therefore. Now, whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, you have to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? And in other words, his teaching on anxiety is based on what he has just said. And so look at what he says just before. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Uh, that last word there, money, it's uh, translated in an Aramaic word, uh, mammon. It refers not just to money, but really your, your wealth, your resources, your, your physical possessions, all your, all your personal resources. And there's a whole other sermon there, and I don't, I'm not going to give you two sermons for the price of one today. You're thankful for that, probably. Uh, so we could preach a whole sermon just on that text. But, but what I want to point out as we draw into uh, the passage we're looking at today is that, if, that you have to have Jesus as your Lord, as your master, and not money or possessions. Um, so in other words, if I could summarize, paraphrase, Jesus is saying, if, if, if God is your master, if, you're, if, if, if we would say, if Jesus is our master, our Lord, and not money and possessions, and if we are striving to store up treasure in heaven and not on earth, therefore, don't be anxious about your life. And so, as I said, that's a whole other sermon, but it is the foundation of the passage today. And I don't think, I don't think that if, if money and possessions are mastering you, that you're going to get the, the peace and the joy and the freedom from anxiety that Jesus now leads us into in this next passage. You have to have Jesus as Lord in place if you're going to have the freedom from anxiety that Jesus is about to talk through. And I would just challenge you, as you to think about that, maybe uh, as you go up, leave this place, don't be so quick to say, oh, of course, Jesus is my Lord, not my money, not my possessions. Is he? That, that, that's worth considering. Because I think that, that money can master us, possessions can own us much more easily than we think. Um, the Bible does not teach that having wealth or money or possessions is wrong. They're tools. But, it is, they're, but, they're, but they're dangerous. Right? So they're not wrong, but they're dangerous because it's easy for the things we own to start owning us. And we can only be master, we can only have one master. All right, so back to our main passage today. I want to draw out multiple weapons. Jesus gives us multiple weapons. I see 10 in this passage that he gives to fight, uh, to fight against anxiety. And I, my, my hope for you is whether you're in the middle of just full-blown anxiety right now or life seems relatively calm, that you will take these 10 weapons and store them up in your heart so that when the next time you go into battle, you will have an arsenal of weapons to fight and wage war and win against the battle of anxiety. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Weapon number one, obey Jesus. Obey Jesus. Jesus commands us. He doesn't say, I, I suggest you don't be anxious. Hey, I think you'd be happier if you weren't worried. No, Jesus says, 
don't be anxious. He gives a command. And for me personally, this weapon has been a lifeline. It's been a lifesaver for me. There's been times when my heart and my mind are, are racing and I, and I remind myself, my king has commanded me not to be anxious. And if, okay, if I want to please God, if I'm anxious about if I'm pleasing God or not, step number one, my king tells me not to be anxious. That it's an act of obedience to, to put anxiety to death. That has been very helpful for me. I hope it is for you. Weapon number two, pursue the life that is truly life. Jesus points out here that, that, that life is more than just this temporary, earthly, physical existence. There's more to life than that. We are called not to love our lives, our earthly lives to the death. Uh, in the words of Paul, that we are to pursue the life that is truly life. So often our anxiety gets wrapped up in earthly things. And we need to remember, and it doesn't get more basic than food and clothing, right? You will die without food. Uh, you will freeze to death uh, without clothing as winter approaches. So the thing, Jesus isn't saying those things aren't important, but he's saying there's something even higher and more important than that. And when we pursue that life above all, above the earthly life, that can free us from anxiety. Jesus continues, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Weapon number three, look at birds. Okay, maybe, okay, well, let's expand that out. Weapon number three, look at birds and remember your worth. Look at birds and remember your worth. My wife placed a bird feeder out in front of our house. And this passage is one of the reasons why we have a bird feeder in front of our house. Uh, God, Jesus, commands us to look at birds. Why? Because birds teach us something. There's a theology lesson right there in front of you as you watch your bird feeder. Jesus says something remarkable here. And this actually fits into what our, uh, my the theology and life class was looking at this morning. God feeds birds. That's remarkable. Okay, so God did not just create the universe and wind it up and get it started and walk away. God is involved in the entire world. Uh, Hebrews 1.3 talks about Jesus upholding the universe by the word of his power. That the, everything exists moment to moment because Jesus upholds it by his word. Colossians 1.17 says that Jesus holds all things together. We just all blow apart, just cease to exist apart from God the Son sustaining the universe. And God is active in his creation. And, and this scripture, Jesus teaches us this profound view on the sovereignty and providence of God, that God feeds a bird, that when you see a bird eating a berry or a, a nut or a seed, you're not, it's not just like, okay, this is some random thing happening here. God is feeding that bird. I, there was a few years ago, I was looking at one of our glass doors out here by the church building. There was this fruit that had fallen on the ground from one of the trees. And there was this flock of birds just gathered around eating it. And it was just this moment of awe for me as I stood there and I watched these birds picking at the berries. And I'm thinking, I am seeing the unseen hand of God right now. God is feeding a bird. 
And, and what Jesus is wanting us to gather, what he wants us to remember when we look at a bird is that that bird is not made in God's image. But you are. And if God's gonna feed a bird, and think about these birds, these lazy galoots, right? They don't plant crops. They don't, they don't reap crops. They don't even bother to store them in a barn. They're like, they need, they're dependent on, on people to, and, and uh, you know, the rest of creation to do the heavy lifting. And they just go around eating. Freeloaders. But God feeds them. And Jesus' logic here is that if God is going to feed a bird, birds have not been redeemed at the cost of the precious blood of the Son of God. But if you're in Christ, you have been. So if God takes care of a bird, won't he take care of you who are so much more precious to him? Jesus continues, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Weapon number four, recognize that worry is useless. Recognize that worry is useless. It does you no good. It doesn't accomplish anything. In fact, it actually usually leads to evil. In fact, there's a psalm, there's a psalm for that. There's a psalm that says, uh, fret not yourselves, it tends only to evil. That when you worry, that worry leads you into sin. How many, how many sinful things have been done because people were anxious, they were afraid, they were scared, they were worried, and they had to take matters into their own hands? Worry is, is useless. So, now this isn't a call to do nothing. We should pray, we should plan, we need to act. But don't worry. If you are a backpacker or a hiker, you know that ounces, pounds count when you're hiking. In fact, ounces count. If you're going up a mountain and the, the amount of ounces, extra weight you have on you matters. Like sometimes I will strip my key ring down to just my car key or even leave my wallet behind just, uh, I mean, maybe taking my driver's license so if the bear eats me, they can at least identify the remains. Uh, but, you know, stripping down because like, the more ounces you carry, you got to, I mean, every single thing you've got in your backpack, you have got to carry that up the mountain. Every single ounce has to be lifted up. There's nothing there assisting me. There's nobody coming alongside and helping lift up my backpack. Ounces matter. Well, when you're, when you're climbing up the mountain uh, called life, get worry out of your backpack. It just weighs you down. It doesn't do you any good. It's just very practical uh, advice from Jesus here, command from Jesus. He continues, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Here's your justification to plant flowers. You can have a bird feeder and you can plant flowers. Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God, God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Weapon number five. Consider flowers, lifespan, to how long you will last. Consider flowers' lifespan in comparison to how long you will last. So this is not the same argument as the bird argument. The, the bird argument is you're worth more than birds. The grass argument is you last longer. 
Not only does God, again, we see the stunning providence and sovereignty of God, right? So not only does God feed birds, God also clothes the grass in the field with beautiful flowers. Uh, Some of the the joys of hiking is just some some of these mountain meadows were just covered with wildflowers. And it's just stunning. It's beautiful. I try to take pictures, but pictures don't do it justice. Just amazing. I'm like, this is the, the art gallery of God, and this is better than anything I saw at the Met in New York City. Uh, this is amazing. This is beautiful, God. Your, your, your handiwork on display, your intricate design of colors and design. And Jesus' point here, again, it's not the same as about the birds, is the point is that you last longer. These beautiful wildflowers that are clothing the fields on the mountain, they don't even last a, a whole year. I mean, they have a short season, and they're gone. But how long, Christian, will you last? You were made for eternity. If you're in Christ, how long are you going to be his son or his daughter? Eternity, forever. You're going to be his son or his daughter forever. So if he takes care of grass, if he clothes grass so beautifully, and it doesn't even last one season isn't he going to take care of you? Aren't you, don't you last longer? This passage, the same passage, also gives us another weapon. Weapon number six, strengthen your faith. Jesus really puts his, um, his finger on the root issue of anxiety here. He says, you of little faith. It's actually just one word in the Greek, um, but we don't, have one, we don't have a single English word to, to that, so it takes us several words to, but, but to call somebody, hey, you're a little faither, uh, maybe would be uh, an approximation. The root issue of anxiety is unbelief. It's a lack of faith and trust in God. That's why the battle against fear, worry, and anxiety is always a spiritual battle. It's a battle against unbelief. And if you just tell an anxious person, hey, don't be anxious, that may not be very helpful. But if we see anxiety as an, un, an issue of unbelief, that is so helpful. Because you know what? There's something you can do about unbelief. You can believe. You can trust. You can strengthen your faith. If, if, if unbelief, or if, if anxiety is rooted in unbelief, then strengthening your faith will counteract anxiety. There's a cure for that. It's trust, it's faith. And, and are you supposed to just work up more faith? No. But where does faith come from? Romans 10 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So as you immerse yourself in scripture, as you feed your faith through worship services and, and Bible studies and, and, and spending time alone in God's word, your faith is strengthened. And your anxieties will shrink. It's been so helpful for me to see this, to see my battles with anxiety as a spiritual battle, as an issue of unbelief, because I can do something about that. I can seek God's word and be fed by it. Jesus continues, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For, all the, for the Gentiles, seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Weapon number seven, remember your identity. Remember your identity. So in the Old Covenant, 
the relationship that God began, remember the biblical timeline, Abraham is the father of the Jewish race, he's the father of the Jewish nation. From Abraham came Isaac, from Isaac came Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons, they were the, the basis, the fathers of the, the 12 tribes of Israel, and God uh, delivers his people from slavery in Egypt under Moses and enters into this covenant with them on Mount Sinai. That's what we call now the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant. And, and in, in uh, the Old Covenant, the world neatly divided into two camps. You have Jews, the people of God, and you have everybody else, and that's the Gentiles. So you've got Jews and Gentiles. Jews are God's people, ethnically descended from Abraham, and you've got Gentiles. That's everybody else. Well, it's interesting, in the New Covenant, the New Testament... New Testament's another word for covenant. Uh, that's why we have Old Testament, New Testament, New Co- Old Covenant, New Covenant. In the New Covenant, those terms of Jew and Gentile are still used, but now they've been given a, a different sense. In the New Testament, uh, Gentile can still be an ethnic reference to people who are ethnically non-Jewish. But in multiple places in the New Testament, the term Gentile has a spiritual meaning to it. In other words, it's the people who are not followers of Jesus. It's the people who are not people of God. And so the, the Gentiles are now the, the people who don't know God. And um, we are, remember we saw that in, in Ephesians a couple weeks back, that we are now fellow citizens. We have full citizenship in Israel with ethnic Jews who trust in Jesus, that, that being part of God's people is now not a basis of ethnicity, uh, and it ultimately never was. It's about faith. It's about trust and whether you know the Lord or not. And so when Jesus says, the, hey, the Gentiles are seeking after all these things, and I think what he's saying is when we worry, we are acting like people who don't know God. Yeah, people who don't know God, they worry about where their next meal is going to come from. They worry about their job and whether they're going to lose it or not. They worry about uh, their 401k. They worry about uh, their, a, a host of, of things. I mean, you can worry about anything and everything. And when we worry, we're acting like people who don't know God. As one biblical scholar said, worry is, a practi- is practical atheism, an affront to God. Uh, in pagan religions, people were dominated by fears of that the God was seen as very capricious. He was just, you know, maybe he has a good day, he has a bad day, and you're, you're constantly in fear of offending the God or gods, and you have to try to appease them with your sacrifices and your offerings. But we have a perfect Heavenly Father who loves us perfectly. We don't have to worry. Worry is acting like people who don't know God. Well, this passage gives us two other weapons uh, sorry, gives us a second weapon, I see. Weapon number eight, remember who God is. Remember who God is. And there's four words that Jesus says that I think are just pregnant with hope and encouragement and comfort. He says, your heavenly father knows. Your. He's your heavenly father. He's your God. He's not just the God, he's your God. We are his. Number two, he's heavenly. He's all-knowing. His wisdom is perfect. His, His understanding is unsearchable. His power is infinite. And his love for us is perfect. What a what a what a winning combination that is, church. Because if God was just love, 
and he loved us with a perfect love, that's great, but if he doesn't have power and wisdom to go with it, he may not be able to help us or he may not know the best way to help us. But God loves us perfectly, so he wants what is best for us and he has all the power to do whatever he wants towards us and he has perfect wisdom to know what is the best thing for you. Perfect wisdom, perfect love, and perfect power combined. It's the winning combination. Your heavenly Father. God is Father. And and maybe you had a terrible earthly father or an absent earthly father. There is a profound healing that takes place. I was just seeing a book uh, about this. I can present a a recommendation for a Shylin. No, Blair Lynn, sorry. The wife of Shylin. Blair Lynn wrote a book about this and how her absent father... And her journey uh, in, the, in the gospel and how God healed her heart as she came to know God as father. It's also an amazing book by a former Muslim uh, from Pakistan. It's called I Dared to Call Him Father. And talks about her journey of faith of how she came to see know God as not just the creator but as her father. God is our father. And no matter how good or imperfect or how terrible your earthly father is, God will show you what it means. The earthly fathers are simply a shadow of the reality. We're not the reality. Earthly fathers are the shadow. God is the reality. God, Father God is the reality that we are supposed to shout, that we are imitating. He's the reality. And your heavenly father knows. He knows. Isn't that a comfort in the midst of your pain, your suffering, your need, your, your, your worries, to realize God knows He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're facing. He knows what you're thinking. He knows. It's on his radar. He's not distant. He's not unaware. Jesus continues, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Weapon number nine, seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. Instead of worrying, seek God's reign and rule. The, the kingdom of God is, is the place where God's reign and rule is expressed. It's his reign and rule in your life. And when you seek God's reign and rule in your life, he says all these things will be added to you. Jesus frees us by command to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and, and the rest will be taken care of. Finally, Jesus concludes, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Weapon number 10, live in the now. Live in the now. Trouble comes one day at a time. So does grace. What what is that beautiful scripture from Lamentations? His mercies are new every morning. And you might be worried about what's gonna happen tomorrow. But you know what? I tell you on the authority of the word of God, if you are a child of God, there will be new morning mercies tomorrow. And you may not have them today. You may not have the grace you need today. You may not have the grace you need tomorrow today. And if you have an active imagination, you can probably imagine all sorts of terrible scenarios and you could just think, I just don't know how on earth I could get through that. I don't know how I could manage. I don't know how I could survive if this horrible thing happened. And I love uh, what one uh, Bible student pointed out. God is bigger than your imagination. Like you may imagine a situation that seems so terrible that you couldn't survive it. God has grace that you can't even imagine. 
and there's new morning mercies every day. And if you've got to suffer and die for your faith, maybe you don't have the grace to do that in this moment, but if you're faced with suffering and death for your faith, you will have it. It's what's so encouraging about knowing church history is looking back on what saints have gone through or even what's going on in the world today. I just read about, a, heard about recently a pastor who'd been imprisoned in Eritrea, uh, I think 10 years, uh, and finally died in captivity, he never was released. And I just thought of that line from Lord of the Rings, hail the victorious dead. You know, that, that for 10 years, this guy, I mean, and they lock their prisoners in metal shipping containers. Like, so don't think metal, don't think like our nice prison system with air conditioning and heating. Like they, they have metal shipping containers in the desert. They, that's they're, they're locking Christians in these things. And I think, how did he do it for 10 years? He didn't deny his faith. Because God has grace that I can't imagine. And he'll give you whatever you need to get you all the way home. He will get you all the way home. The worries of what if ultimately come down to a reliance upon yourself. The antidote to fear and worry is to rely on God. Will you trust in yourself or will you trust in God? It really is that simple. Put your faith in your heavenly father. Well, that's it, church. That's 10 weapons, 10 weapons to carry into your next battle into anxiety. Uh, I hope that that is a flamethrower tank for the soul, for you to uproot unbelief, to conquer it, I pray that you take these mighty weapons and put them into practice. Before we go any further, I just, wanna, I just wanna hit the pause button for a moment and just give you a moment to reflect, just a minute to pray, to reflect on what, what you've just heard. What do you need to do in response? What do you need to start doing? What do you need to stop doing? Just take a moment to reflect right now. Father, please help us to put into practice, to fight the good fight of faith, to use the weapons you have given us. Thank you. You are so amazing in your providential care that you provide for your children, not just one or two, but multiple weapons to fight anxiety with. I pray, Father, that our, our hands would grow skilled at waging war with these powerful weapons that you have given us. Help us to be a people that trust in you not ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. As beautiful as Matthew 6 is, and I, and I hope, that's my, that's my heart, that you would walk away from Matthew 6 just in awe of how good God is, that you would be wowed by his goodness.